language in this show may be too harsh for young listeners. In other words, we still struggling with our cussing. Listening to Psycho Music Lyricology, a podcast where music touches the mind and heals the soul. I am one of your co-hosts, the guy that doesn't know anything about hip hop, Sheldon Moss, along with a dude that is always secure about his opinion, Michael Nelson. I'm saving all my love, and of course, the professor Maurice Moss. What's up? What's up, fellas? What's going on, man? Hey, man. Mike, I just wanna. Uh, uh, let everybody know Mike DJ'd my mother's 70th birthday party Had a good time And too. it was on man <laughs> I heard you had to uh, You had to break out the Marvin seats <laughs> <laughs> Say that I, I started telling your uncle I ain't no jukebox <laughs> What was funny about that huh? What was funny about that man Was uh, Is he <laughs> He said, "Hey, we are. What do you say? We over fifty. We over fifty. I was like, yeah. I was like, I like, I can't see that. <laughs> like that wasn't evident. Yeah. When I, look at I was you. like, I'm at a seventieth birthday party, man. I know that. That's always kind of interesting, though. When you're, uh, that's one of the reasons why I probably could never be a DJ because you have to gauge um, what how you you have to do, you have to send out those feelers to kind of gauge the crowd and all that kind of stuff and I would always have stuff that probably wouldn't I don't know it's uh it's very much a challenge man because you know you you know you it's almost easier with the kids though because I mean you know you just play a bunch of ratchet <laughs> shit for yeah, the kids yeah. yeah but I mean if somebody was if I was at a party and somebody was playing the uh, Marvin Cease I'd be like okay yeah I'm, uh, it's good. But I would probably whatever you normally would play just naturally, like would be a mix of old and new stuff. I would think it that's was probably would be what was, I would be listening uh, to. And the thing is, is that you know, in, in a situation like that, you got uh, you have you have uh, anywhere from like thirty somethings to seventy somethings, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sitting around listening to music. So when I first got started, or was starting to get started. You know, I was playing. I was just trying to see what was gonna get somebody's head bopping. Mm-hmm. It was an outdoor. It was an outdoor party. You know, and in 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 that sense, I knew there weren't going. It, it wasn't gonna be a lot of dancing because it was hot. You know, <laughs> right? You know, so <laughs> right. I didn't expect there to be a lot of dancing. I just wanted to move some heads and that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. so you start. You know, you just kind of start playing music and you try to find that happy medium. But Unk rolled up on me when I was playing Neo, like, you know, Mm-mm. say, man, I, I need you to do something different. But what was what was really funky about it was I hadn't been playing music but by like six, seven minutes. Yeah, he had just literally I mean, got literally, started. literally, I was on like my third song. So he just like, before we get into this yeah. too deep, let, yeah. let's just let's just go. Let's Cut let, this out. Let's do some ground rules. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I played, you know, I, I had Sheldon said to me. Make sure you have blues and line dances. And I was like, I got that. But can I get started first? 
you know. Back, back, and give you 50 yeah, feet. give me 50 feet. Back, 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 back. Give me 50 feet. <laughs> and by, before Mike got there, he, you know, he had, had a couple of coolest lights, so, yeah. you know. Ain't no big deal. Uncle, <laughs> uncle's fine. I, you know, no big deal. I've been... I've been in worse spots where somebody's out. Somebody tried to clown me about. Uh, I did a '90s uh, birthday party uh-huh. one time last year. Sometime he's like, "Oh, just play '90s music." I was like, "Oh, you know, that's that was our college years, so you know that'd be that's simple for me." Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, I'm rocking. I'm I'm rocking. You know, the back end of New Jack Swing and you know just the '90s boy band groups and all of that '90s hip hop and then. And, you know, I stayed away from like uh, deep East Coast hip hop. I just played, you know, some of the some of the party records. And uh, uh, the young lady who was giving the party walked up to me and said, "Do you have what did she ask me for Tootsie Roll?" And I was like, "95 South." Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "That never entered your mind to even be ready with that." Yeah, I was like. <laughs> Tootsie Wait a roll. minute, because it was just so much more to the night. Yeah, Why, I was like, what you coming at me with that? I part? was like, hell, I didn't. I <laughs> but that was a big part of the nineties. It was a so, huge part of the nineties. You know that, and that's you know that's the gap in my DJ right, career. Right, right, you right. Know, that's exactly from high school, I, yeah. and then I didn't do anything really in the nineties, and then after, so. That was that big gap. You probably saw that record somewhere. It didn't even appear to you to like, oh, okay, I need that. I need Tussie Roll. <laughs> and let me tell you this. I still haven't downloaded it because I will. I was like. That's funny. I was like, okay, you know. But now I have to do things. Like I got, you know, a couple of things coming up and I have to pay attention to the age. So, like, I'm going to have to start going to some clubs pretty soon and start listening to what the music is playing because, you know, you got certain groups of people you can play deep stuff for, mm-hmm. deep cuts, and have a good time, and people will enjoy it. And then you got to just, and then there's a point when you just have to play party records. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you know that's you know, it's it's cool, it's fun to do. It's just you know, it's just something. You know, it'd be different if I was trying to make a living at it. I yeah. had to be a little bit more up on what's yeah. going on, but yeah. you know, I don't, I don't. But man, I appreciate uh. I appreciate uh, being able to do it. It was fun. It was fun for me, especially about that hour I did like all swing out music. So I got to play Maxwell and Sade and all of that kind of stuff. And I saw some of the some of our age group kind of bopping their heads and mm, enjoying it a little bit. So yeah. And then you know somebody walked up to me and said, "Man, you ran the gamut tonight, man. It was." Uh, which was wait a minute. That was the listening. ultimate compliment yeah. for you. Right? And, and, and the trip part was he was he was he was our age. Yeah, or a little like, bit younger. Oh, that's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. He said, "I really enjoyed your playing tonight, man. You played a lot of good music." I was like, "Well, thank you, thank you." When I first got here, I got accosted, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Unk run up on me. <laughs> Unk ran up on me like, say, man. I, sh-. I was like, "Am I going to go to the car?" <laughs> get the strap <laughs> yeah i was like come on man but anyway it was fun man thanks for inviting me man. Uh, yeah. thanks for having me man, I sure thank you did. for doing it though mm-hmm. but yeah man mike maurice what you been on man you know what you've been listening to and um, you know i just saw you not too long ago eating barbecue so you know yeah 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 we had fourth together yeah. um there's a rapper out there that i had not been aware of for several years but I, he had a he has an album that he just put out and I still wouldn't have been aware of him except for the fact that the album cover 
is a recreation of one of Teddy Pendergrass's album covers. And it's, uh, if you, there's the Teddy Pendergrass album with, uh, he's got a white suit on and there's a red background. There's this lady hanging yeah, out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, It's called Teddy. Mm-hmm. Well, the name of this, this guy's album is uh, Freddy because the rapper's <laughs> name is Freddy Gibbs. I've seen that. I that saw cover. that album. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you put them side by side, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, not a, he did it. I mean, he's like, he studied it. Yeah. And yeah. He, he recreated the cover and it was like, it was, it was really, really good. So now I was like, okay, well, let me listen to this uh, dude's music. And I was like, okay, I know why I don't I don't know about him because he's like a Rick Ross rapper. I mean, he rapping about the streets and stuff. And, they, you know, you go do a little research on him. Mm-hmm. And his, I mean, he's real. I mean, you know, he's in, he done caught a couple of cases. So, <laughs> but, the, but his flow, mm-hmm. yeah, his flow is really, really good. And his, and his production which he produces himself on a lot of stuff is tight. So I mean, if you just want to like have a, a good vibe for the for the car when you by yourself, you don't need a uh, anybody to be. You know, if you're not if you're like an NC17 type of <laughs> <laughs> type of type of crowd, you know, you can't have it for the minors. But um, it's a it's a good album. It's really good. It's really good. Okay, Freddie, oh, let's wow. check that out. Hey, and man. also, uh, just just from a music industry standpoint, uh, Future put out an album. Just weeks after, you know, you were talking about the Superfly album, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I was listening to it, and now uh, I, I see a lot of articles about it, and they still, I'm not, I'm not into it. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is, Future really, uh, I like, I like his album art. I guess because I was on an album art thing with the Freddie Gibbs album, I was looking at, and I started looking at all his album covers. If you look at all his album covers, they are really, mm-hmm. really. Even the one with the album that he did with Drake, the album covers are like somebody put some time in it, and it's uh-huh. got some real art direction behind it, and it's really, I, I like the way he uses color in all of his album covers. So, shout out to him for that. That's kind That's of a good. throwback. It'd be cool if he had some liner notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think he need liner notes because. Uh, <laughs> Because we don't read the people who. Well, I mean, the songs are just kind of like, okay, well, okay. I, I don't need to dig any deeper into that one. Well, I mean, you know, just some some, some information. Yeah, cool. yeah, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's it. Yeah, man. What, what, what about you, Mike? You, you know, know what? I, I'll say that I uh, caught wind of an album. Uh, Christian McBride mm-hmm. was uh, tweeting about it. Uh, John Coltrane, they found a. Uh, lost album mm-hmm. they call it the lost album it's called both directions at once and you can kind of tell this record is uh lost in the sense that uh most of the songs don't have album titles they're like like these numbers <laughs> you know it's like like the like the the first out al- the first track is called untitled original one one three eight three take one <laughs> yeah so they don't they don't have uh they don't have titles na- mm-hmm. or anything so and uh I'm gonna tell you, man. This, um, you know, I I have the triumvirate. It's uh, John Coltrane, uh, Sonny Rollins, Joe Henderson. Those are my, you Top know, for whatever reasons, where jazz music is concerned, and especially saxophone players. Those are my three favorite. I mean, can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. I just I love their music, and John Coltrane. This album is. Um, it's like spiritual. It's weird how you, and I don't know that. I don't know that I can explain it in the sense, you know. But it's just like him playing. You know, you just it's a it's a certain spirit. It's a, it's a certain fearlessness in his playing 
that makes him like really an interesting horn player because um i'm listening to this album and for what like i said it's uh it's unreleased so i don't know if he meant to do something different like the very first song is him playing over uh uh, he has a drummer playing bass and just him mm-hmm. and he's just you know it doesn't have a chorus it doesn't it's just this him playing it's like him just having a conversation like i'm getting ready to tell you a story and he just starts playing and in the playing he misses notes and what i mean by miss notes he's playing he's playing the note that's supposed to be in the chord but he doesn't play it pure mm-hmm. and it's all part of the style that he's using so you know mm-hmm. how you mispronounce a word mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. or while you're talking you kind of you know clear your throat or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. and that's the way the horn that's the way it's coming at you mm-hmm. and it's just like this whole like you know it's like i'm you know you, you get it or you don't get it what mm-hmm. i'm saying is what i'm trying to the story i'm trying to convey and then at the end of the song it picks up a little bit and the piano player starts to play and then there's some more improv uh in it but again there's no chorus in it there's no vamp that's just him playing and it's just just like you know you know just at the end of the song you're just like damn and you know you just whatever story he was trying to tell mm-hmm. you may have made up a story in your head you know and mm-hmm. you couldn't necessarily be wrong because it's right. just him playing right. notes mm-hmm. right and so he's not it's not lyrics so mm-hmm. he's not but at the end of the song, you just kind of like, oh, okay, I got it. You know, it's just for whatever reasons, that's just his playing. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I mean, and every song is kind of like that in the sense of his uh, his improv work. Some of the songs have choruses. Some of the songs have vamps, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, you know, melodies, actual um, um, uh, verses, like a song verse. But uh, it's awesome, man. It's just... Uh, uh, one of the th- I, the other thing that I haven't been able to do yet, uh, when Christian McBride tweeted out about it, it was he was on NPR doing an interview with uh, the son, uh, Robbie Coltrane. Mm. So they were having a discussion about this record, and uh, I'm 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 really interested in that that uh interview so i'm looking mm. forward to checking that out but okay. you know if you like jazz even if you don't like jazz if you just appreciate music uh both directions at once the light the lap both directions at once the lost album john coltrane yeah. I, I would suggest you just you just kind of you kind of listen to it and kind of try to figure it out because it's worth your time just whatever time you have is worth it. And it's not, and let me tell you something, it's not going to be background music because when you're listening to it, <laughs> you're going to you be like, be paying attention. yeah, you're just going to be like, wait, whoa. And um, uh, I listen to it. Uh, it's been great riding music for me and uh, sitting and thinking, sitting and doing, you know, uh, like, uh, I literally was trying to read a book. I was like, oh, I'm going to put this on while I'm trying to read this uh, chapter that I'm trying to read in this book. And I couldn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, like every turn of the, every turn of a phrase and the music kind of stopped me from reading to the point where I was just like, let me put this book down and listen to this album. So 14 tracks, an hour long, good record. So okay. you think, you think that record was, uh, songs that would have been on the love supreme nah it, it, it was 
I think I think or something that would have been done after my, that. My guess is I think these are tracks that were this was probably an album done after Love Supreme. Mm-hmm. Now again, in I I didn't purposefully I did not look up any information on the album okay. because I wanted to hear the uh conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to hear the conversation first and then go look up some information. But the way it sounds to me is that this is uh, a studio record either right before or right after Love Supreme. Mm -hmm. I just feel like that, you know, all the track and it may not even be one. It may not even I can honestly, maybe Mm -hmm. maybe I can hear one or two of these songs on Love Supreme. Supreme. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it may have been, you know, we know that musicians, for the most part, when they're in the studio, they record a bunch of stuff, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And then it might not be, some things get thrown away, some things get Mm -hmm. put onto the album, and some things never see the light of day. So some of these songs may have fit into one of those three categories, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not unusual in the sense that none of, a lot of them don't have titles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're just you know, this song and and it could have even been it could have even been him just working out. Right. You know, like right. like I say, the first right. song uh is a uh the first song is just him and a drummer and uh for the first like um it's like a six minute track. So like for the first three minutes of the track, mm-hmm. it's just him playing. Gotcha. You know, over a drum over a drum, drum swinging and I do I think if I remember correctly because I may have a couple of the songs mixed up. It was uh, uh, a bass player playing, and he just, you know, he's just letting it loose, man. So it could have been him just working out mm-hmm. and then, you know, trying to work out a song. Mm-hmm. And it just it just never saw the light of the day because he didn't finish it. So Wow. But uh, it's dope. It's real I'm about dope. to check that out, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Um, but, again, you know, I'm a little biased because, Cold Train Rollins Henderson can do no wrong. <laughs> they can come in here and play the alphabet song, and I'd be like, "Oh shit," you know. Yeah. But that's that's just me. But that's it, man. What you been listening to, bro? I've been catching up on Luke Cage. Mm. Yeah, okay. And mm-hmm. on Luke Cage, the first season, the first still, season, okay, okay. On Luke Cage, he's on there, like he's auditioning to mm-hmm. be in the club that night, mm-hmm. and all this stuff is going on with the cat that's playing the villain. Mm-hmm. And this song is on. Yeah. And man, I just could not quit listening to it. So I just started checking this little old music out. Man, I didn't even realize he had an album came out last year. Just Tell the Dinner. people who they are. Jai Dinner. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I had no earthly idea he had one last year, man. That's uh that's that's from that Janelle Monet camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. That whole album's good. Yeah, man. So. He, yeah, I like him a lot. I, I think play, we talked about the album. We once. may have. Yeah, yeah. Bambi, I remember that song that's from the album. There. It seemed like we had a discussion. Maybe we about did. It. Yeah, when yeah. it first released. We had a discussion about yeah. it. Yeah. So that goes to show you what, what Sheldon thinks of our recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes you know yeah, some of these, like, yeah, some of these yeah. jiggers. You got to get up. You yeah, know, they yeah. gotta they gotta get their stuff from the white folks. That's, 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 that's why I don't listen uh, to hip hop. And you know what's funny? At least I got it from a black show. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, at least yeah, I got it from yeah. a black show. Yeah. But I actually, you know, the song Bambi. I did listen to that, but I did not know that was on there. And then when I listened to it, saw him on the on the show, I was like, damn. 
Long live the chief. Yeah, he's good. That video is cool too. Is he it? actually put out mm-hmm. another album since then. Since seventeen. That for, that's something else that came out after that album. Yeah, I'm almost sure of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's the got one, at least two albums out now. Because the one on for last year for seventeen is called Boomerang. Is the okay. name of the album, okay. and it's a lady in a bathtub with some big rollers in her head. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, classic. There man. are at least two releases. Yeah, classic. Yeah, and that's man the was one I started. Jam. Yeah, that's, that's the one I started listening to. After the first that. time I heard classic man, I was like, <laughs> yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> that I should have wrote this. This shit is jam. <laughs> classic man. That was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, on my uh, when I when I turned fifty, and we had my birthday party. That's how I'm walking in. I'm I'm walking in. Mm-hmm. On the sound, that's gonna be my soundtrack when I walk in the door. That's gonna be my theme music. Uh, okay. Every superhero needs a theme song. Uh, okay, and that's, that's gonna be it. Song. I'm gonna walk in the classic man. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be dope though. <laughs> it's gonna be dope. Don't I don't want no listeners to be stealing my idea either. Mm, okay. <laughs> They're gonna be like, okay. Well, you better look at YouTube next week then. <laughs> <laughs> don't steal my idea. That's my fiftieth. But Birthday yeah, man. but that's what song. I've been listening to, man. Damn, so yeah. you know, yeah, man, he 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 he's dope. You know, so long live the chief. But what are we gonna get into today, that Maurice? You know, uh, so uh, by request, we take requests. Just so everybody know, <laughs> we take requests for show topics. Right today, um, because uh, a documentary is coming coming out or is out uh, on Whitney Houston. We're going to discuss the uh, artist, Whitney Houston. So uh, just from the onset, I'm going to tell you, I appreciate the talent of Whitney Houston. I think that she's phenomenal. But I wasn't a diehard fan. I mean, I just dis- didn't, you know, just, I mean, there's, I, I looked at her entire dis- discography in, in anticipation of the show. And I was like, okay, I like that song. And I was like, oh, I like that song. I like that song. I like but I don't. I never owned her music. I never like. Okay, I gotta have it. But I, I, I think that she was a phenomenal artist. I think that, and I said this on the show before. And after reading about the um, the the documentary that's coming out, and then just reading about her life, you know, I may I said some things about how I thought she should have approached her music, and maybe it wouldn't it would have you know kind of changed the course or whatever. But, I mean, that wasn't really even a fair statement either. But to me, it's kind of like all of the stuff that people talked about Whitney was just, I, I, you know, if you put yourself in people's position and you're like, okay, I got all of this money, but this, this, is, this is the price that I have to pay. And I was reading a quote, and, you know, we're going to get into, you know, specifics about, you know, her, her career and everything. But one quote I said is, one quote I read about her um, – before the show was uh people uh want your blood but they don't want your pain word mm-hmm. so i mean she was i mean i mean i think that was a sentiment that kind of resonated for her throughout her career that you know there was some stuff that she hadn't worked out in her life just like everybody is always working out stuff in their life and she didn't get a chance to work through all of that because she had to be on this main stage and be this um, you know, personification of uh, of what at that particular point in time was uh, a black female beauty, you know, and a nice girl. So, you know, um, 
you know, I, I, I really empathize with her and her career and what, what ultimately happened to her because, you know, it, it had to be it had to be kind of a, a, a tough situation that she was going through. Which is why I was like, well, well, you know, you know, work it out through the music. I, you know, I always, you know, because, but everybody's process is not the same. But I will say, I'll redirect and say that Whitney's first album and the first single off of her first album is probably my favorite song by Whitney because it has production by what I can by one of one of the best R&B producers of all time, but one of the best producers of all time, Kashif. Mm-hmm. And it was just R.I.P. Kashif. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it was just a good R&B song. And even when I listen to it now today, there's no time period to it when I hear it. And I know that may be part of my bias toward music, but it sounds as fresh as the first time I heard it because the the instrumentation is not necessarily dated to me. I don't, I don't, I don't hear that. Maybe I need to go back and listen to it again. But it just sounds like a good R&B song. And I think that from there, that first album, just the direction in that album was the, a really good jumping off point for her career. I, I think that that was a good starting point for her. I just think that she would have, and I, I just re- see how she reacted to the mu- reacted to criticism with her music. So I don't know what it would have taken. I don't know what she should have done musically to somehow saved her life with the music i don't know i'm kind of meandering but i'm thinking about the subsequent i'm your baby tonight album and how that was a response to people saying that she was too white with the other stuff so well um uh has she lived next month she would hit 55 years old um she was born on august 9th uh her day she's the only houston is the only uh artist in history even today to have seven consecutive number one uh billboard hot 100 songs and in 1985 her uh debut album uh is the best-selling uh album by a woman in history wow hmm. uh uh, it is considered one of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And then her second album uh, became the first album by a woman to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 uh, album charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so beyond the accolades, I agree with you here. She is probably one of the more phenom- one of the most phenomenal voices uh, in the history of recorded music. There weren't, I can't think of anyone who came before her. Now there have been some after mm-hmm. who 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 took her took the. Uh, uh, followed her lead, so to speak, took her blueprint and kind of followed what she did mm-hmm, musically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the purity in her voice. Uh, uh, it was, I mean, she had a bell-like quality to her sound, mm-hmm. whether it be live or recorded, mm-hmm. you know, which is almost impossible to sound 
the same live and on live on and on a record most most people the majority of artists have to clear up something in the studio right and she may have had to do the same thing clean up some sound but when she was on stage uh and i never actually saw her live live but i've heard live recordings and right. seen seen video i can't tell you too many times that if you put two albums together or a live recording and her uh, studio recordings together that you can tell them apart because mm-hmm. her voice was that uh, pure it was that you know it, it was just incredibly pure and then she had the range uh, um, to do uh, pop music and R&B music and soul music and gospel music she had the range to do them all equally as well that's really to me one of her one of the more phenomenal feats for her the way she moved in and out of so many different things mm-hmm. so skillfully yeah and then she has then she had the acrobatics the vocal acrobatics the inflections mm-hmm. the runs where she could pretty much do them in every uh in each one of those genres mm-hmm. And it fit the genre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was having a discussion uh, uh, recently uh, where, she, where I was saying that she was a genius, which, you know, we, maybe we'll bring this out later. Tortured genius um, uh, with some mental health issues. This is another one of those uh-huh. where we where somebody's mental health is really kind uh-huh. of a, a uh-huh. conversation that still uh-huh. needs to be had right. uh-huh. where she has like some mental health issues that, um, you know, probably forced her early demise. And, um, but she was a genius. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that she could, her voice use her voice in so many different ways made her a genius mm-hmm. everybody can do that i don't care how well you can sing there has to be some musicality and some things you have to be able to hear some things that nobody else can hear mm-hmm. so um fortunately or whatever last night i saw the the documentary and i want to talk about we can get into the other stuff as we as we discuss whitney but uh, just to make my point, we were talking about uh, her her uh, her genius musically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to point to something that probably you know few people think of when they think of Whitney, and that's the um, Super Bowl national anthem mm-hmm. when she sang the national anthem that year. Okay, one of the things Ricky Minor was her musical director. Uh, the bass player Ricky Minor has been on. You know, he does all the BET stuff, and mm-hmm. he's a bass player uh, by trade. But he's also a musical director, usually for all of these shows, the music shows or whatever. And Ricky said that uh, he called. They called Whitney and said, "Hey, we want you to do the Super Bowl." Whitney's manager, who was her father at the time, called Ricky and said, "Hey, we're doing the Super Bowl. I need you to get this music together." And and he said, how is Whitney going to sing the national anthem? Mm-hmm. He said, so he decided to do the music a little different. So instead of three 
uh, bar, three three beats per bar. He changed it to four beats, and I remember the first when I heard it that year watching the Super Bowl. I was like, "What's wrong with this song?" You know, it was just something that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't familiar enough with the arranging of music mm-hmm. or even that arrangement to say it's something different here. Mm-hmm. I just remember thinking it was something different about it. And so he changed it from three beats to four beats per bar, mm-hmm. the music. And then he made like this, you know, this whole orchestral thing that was like totally different than what you would hear other than uh, when Marvin Gaye sang the national anthem. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's nothing more, uh, uh, unique no other national anthem more unique than what marvin did mm-hmm. than now what whitney is doing mm-hmm. and so whitney flew into town and he said hey you know he said he sent her the music he never heard from whitney never heard a word from her about the music mm-hmm. he said when whitney flew into town and ricky was there and they were getting ready to do the whole thing mm-hmm. he said uh hey you know What's up? How you like the Star Spangled Banner? And she was like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard it. <laughs> it's like three to six months time since he had sent her, like three months time, yeah. where he had sent her the tape uh-huh. and where, you know, here's the night before the performance. Uh-huh. And he's already worked with the orchestra. He's already got things ready to go. And she's like, I haven't heard it. <laughs> and he was like, "Wait, what? For three months you've been listening, you having this tape, and you haven't heard it." And, uh, 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 and unless the person would have done one of those, uh, uh, what's that, Morris Day on a? She might have got a cane to yeah. the head or something. Yeah, uh, you uh, <laughs> you gonna make my boys look bad. <laughs> and so anyway, the uh, so at that point, she said, "Okay, well, just pull it up." And he was like, all right, well, we got to get it started. So some kind of way we got to get this going. Turns on the music and he says she lays her head back on a sofa. And then when he was done, he said, she said, okay, I got it. Never rehearsed it. Never went over the music. Listened Mm -hmm. to it once. Walked out on the field. And that's what we got. Wow. Yeah, man. That's, if that's not genius, I don't know what is. Yeah, she's pretty phenomenal. I don't know. I don't know what else to call genius if that's not what genius is. And for her to just even know the words, I mean, <laughs> and, and, wait a minute, because so many have forgotten that, yeah. or didn't know it at all. Because right. you know the the remember the uh, the American Dream, the Jackson story. They were getting ready to go do the Star Spangled yeah. Banner, and they didn't know the words. And uh, what's what's what was the uh, uh, Sylvia Rohn no. was that her name? Is nah, that her name? Uh, 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 the, Vanessa Williams played her. Yeah, it was yeah. S- that's Sylvia Rohn. Well, I, I, I don't remember, remember now. Yeah. Uh, I remember. But she didn't. Uh, they didn't know the words. Nobody knew the words. They had to call somebody to find out the words to yeah. the song so they could do it. You know. But she uh, apparently, apparently, well, you know, she went to Catholic school, so you know, I'm sure she knew the words. But the fact is that she never rehearsed it. Yeah. It's not it wasn't in it wasn't in the normal metering. Mm-hmm. It was a whole different thing and you just walk out there cold and that's what we got. Mm-hmm. It's on tape. 
the first time you sang the song that you were supposed you know you didn't practice this you walked out there and just did it and it was just it was phenomenal which speaks to how she really got her start she was uh you know she she uh which i think is no is in no small part conversations we've had about um artistry and musicianship she got a start in the church mm. which you know we don't we don't find too many singers doing that anymore unfortunately <laughs> but that's where she got a start uh she came from a musical family uh sissy sissy mm. houston her mother same background for aretha franklin had a couple of uh albums herself maybe a minor hit or two um so she came from a musical background musical family so um she decided she wanted to be a singer somewhere around her 16th birthday around her being 16 years old her mother had been training her from um her young from her youth until about you know until she was about 16 17 she started singing background for her mother Mm-hmm. And so one one night, uh, a club gig came up, and she was about the same background. Her mother walked over to the mic and started pretending that she couldn't sing. Mm-hmm. Was you know like she had some kind of a frog in her throat or something, and she said, "Okay, uh, I'm not gonna be able to perform tonight." It was at some club called uh, Mickles or Mikhail's or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, up on the east coast up in Jersey some in, in that area and she walked into uh, she said so I'm sorry I can't sing tonight but I'm going to let my daughter sing and her pianist uh, keyboard player who followed uh, Whitney from that point forward became her kind of keyboard player from that point forward is telling this story and uh she she said that uh, that night Whitney blew the audience away, completely blew the audience away. She played, she did the whole program that her mother would have done uh, and did it, you know, Whitney's way. Mm-hmm. And she said that uh, the next morning, Sissy called her and said, hey, how are you? And she said, what's wrong with your voice? She said, "Oh, nothing was ever wrong with my voice. I just, I just needed to know if you could handle it. Yeah, if you can get, you know, if you can get into, if you can get in the crowd. I mean, in front of a crowd, and just bust it out, mm. which apparently she was ready to do. And so at that point, they started shopping her around. Um, her mother is an interesting component in the Whitney story to me, mm-hmm. because that story that you just told kind of really, to me, personifies." what I think about her mother, she seems like, like I don't get nurturing from her. I get, I'm preparing you. I get, I'm going to teach you how to swim by throwing you in the water. I get, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is a cruel, cruel world out here. Yeah. And you're going to, you're going to, you know, you got to step up in order to, you know, be that person. Mm-hmm. Whenever they, Whenever I see interviews of her mother, I see this very, very stern kind of mama bear, pit bull bear. This, pit, I see this mama pit bull. Somebody who was probably a serious disciplinarian and somebody that was just kind of like, okay, you know, kind of like Debbie Allen in fame right here is where you start paying and sweating. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 
that's what I get from the mama. And so one of the brothers actually said that uh, when she decided at 13 she wanted to be a singer, Sissy took over. And uh, they would come home a many a night not speaking to each other, slamming doors and that kind of thing. And Sissy yeah, was like, yeah, Sissy was like, you either going to do it right or you're not going to do it all. You know, it's like uh, you wearing my name out here and you ain't going to be you ain't going to embarrass me. none. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, in in a sense that, you know, she she pulled at Joe Jackson without, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. without beating her. Uh, Oh, physically, beating be, no, up physically, yeah. and uh, since I said that, R.I.P. Mr. Joe Jackson. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. that's right. you know, since I didn't we even know he was, I didn't even know he was ill like that until yeah, that it until, came across. Uh, the yeah, so out. you know, just not to go down a rabbit hole, right. but you know, he he did bring us one of the greatest artists of all time. With you know, and if we look at kind of their lives, one of the other things about their life is that. Whitney and Michael were actually really good friends and they were really good friends based on their positions in life. Mm. Nobody, you know, you can't name too many artists who made it to where they made it. Right. And then get torn down by tabloids at the same time. Oh, Whitney yeah. tells a story that Michael would call her sometimes and say, Hey, won't you come over? And he would, she would go over to uh, wherever he was she said and they would just sit in a the room. They wouldn't even talk. You know, they 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 would just kind of be in each other's <laughs> presence because you know it was probably a little bit of, I understand you really ain't got to tell me. I got right, you. Right, right, yeah. right. And since you're the only one who understands, you and I don't really have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We just need to, you know, we just need to have each other's back right now. So, you know, so that's that's just the story of her beginning. Then, I mean. I remember my first experience with Whitney Houston was uh, Soul Train appearance, saving all my love for you. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I had heard mm-hmm. that, that I can remember. I shouldn't say it might not be my first experience, but that was my first time remembering, uh, or or re- that's my first remembrance of Whitney Houston and remembering. And all I could think at the time was, she sure is skinny. You know, that was just, you know, I was just like, she's she's skinny. What is, you know, what is her issues? And then, but Saving All My Love For You was like this song that like sticks she in your out. craw. She belted it out with such confidence. Yeah, It I was mean, like, you know, Whitney set the bar very early on. Yeah. Like she did not, she didn't say, I don't know if, I don't know how I can really describe it, but I don't know that all artists put everything they have in that debut album like some people kind of step into their real their real greatness as an artist and she just came out there just kind of like which is probably very attributable to her mother you know she took over the stage with the second song that was like second or third song that was released from her debut album I could see her walking on the stage and just killing it. I yeah. mean, and, and confident about mm-hmm. it. She like, was just, and this like, is, I'm just doing this. And, this is, and it's this like is, you're not sweating. Like, she yeah. was like never, it was just like she was never out of, she was like never, at the beginning, she was never out of sorts. Like, she just, nothing ever, like, moved her. You know, she, 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 just, stayed, she just stood flat-footed and sang. 
So the article that I read that reviewed the or that interviewed the director that of uh, the movie that you watched, the mm-hmm. documentary, uh, the the writer was saying that uh was 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 like suggesting that maybe some of the issue related to Whitney was she was too she was so used to her talent that it became commonplace for her to be able to do what she did which like you know you're describing it as genius but she just kind of got to a point where she took that part of her for granted and that's why she um that's that may may have attributed to some of the decisions that she made as a person that it was just it was just uh uh it was just this is this is my this is my talent this is what i do like you know like we all go to our job every day and say this is what i do but you know of course she was very different i mean she had this very unique talent but she just what part of the issue was it just got too commonplace for it it just got too okay like whatever Well, I mean, he interviewed everybody, and he was, I mean, he was the director, but I never really got that from her. I never really got that, and and just from, you know, they had a lot of footage, a lot of Whitney, like, behind-the-scenes footage of her life mm-hmm. in this documentary, and I never really got that. I mean, you know, I don't, I, and maybe he saw something different. Um and, I was and trying then, to figure out what then, they possibly could have and gotten. And then he's talking, you know, he's talking to other people. But I don't think I, I never really got that from Whitney. What I got from Whitney was was I'm pouring all I mean, there there was a point like she was pouring all of herself into this thing that she had, you know. Uh, um I was I was saying that, you know, that tortured genius thing. I was talking about Prince. Um, we, who I was talking with, we were talking about artists who died recently, mm-hmm. and I was talking about Prince, and I said Prince was the one person that when he died, and then the reasons he died or what precipitated his death mm-hmm. was the one was the thing that confused me the most because I didn't see Prince on drugs like that, and then it's come out yeah. several times that he would use cocaine. Yeah to stay up all night mm-hmm. and then i was and then i think where i saw it differently is is prince used cocaine to stay up all night because he had all of this music that he was trying to get out he wasn't a you know he he didn't you know he he wasn't a notorious for partying he wasn't notorious for uh you know just being out and about and that I'm kind using of the thing. cocaine to get high. but he was using the cocaine mm-hmm. to kind of like it was like he was tortured by all of this stuff that was in his body, like this music that was just like seeping out of his body. And I don't think a whole lot of people, it's not a whole lot of people who can, uh, who can relate to that. And I'm, I'm thinking, and for whatever reasons, I always feel like Whitney was one of those people that she had all of this stuff and then she was trying to get it out. And one of the things that, um, one of the things that I argue was one, okay, she went to an all girls school. It has come out that it came out in the documentary that she may have been molested. And then she had a friend, Robin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they started making these, you know, the, the new term now is fluid. 
You know, you're not. <laughs> I think you said it early on an earlier it's show. Yeah. Pansexual. Pansexual. Yeah. The new the the new term is fluid. Yeah. You know, you can whom whomever is interested in you, you can be interested in them. You can you know if there's a if, and it doesn't matter uh, their gender. Mm-hmm. And there must have come a point where Robin and Whitney were probably probably. In some kind of relationship. Yeah, they were probably intimate on some level. Mm -hmm. But uh, at that time, you couldn't be that. Uh, Because somebody's going to, because two people are trying to handle your image, your mother and your father. And they're trying to handle this image that we got this good family and we we're have Christians. This, and we're Christians. We're Christians. We come from not, a we come from a legacy of gospel music. Exactly. Yes. And all of these things kind of, uh, you know, and uh, you can't be you mm-hmm. in all things. Right. So the only place you can be you is on the stage and with your music and. That's why it kind it's kind of hard for me that she to 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 deal with somebody saying she kind of took it for granted. I think that's the only place she was free. I mean, you know, I the reason why I said that is because I struggled with that. I was kind of like, well, I don't know if that would be my take because she paid so much homage to her. She never left gospel. True. Like a lot of artists like that, I could see them going off and doing like 10 pop records and coming back and maybe singing like one gospel song. Mm-hmm. She did gospel uh, consistently throughout her career from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. She situated herself with gospel artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't do the, and she wasn't singing like, um, I mean, she didn't position herself with like, I mean, and this is no slight, but she wasn't trying to do the, the, uh, the stomp version of the gospel. end thing right she was doing you know jesus she was doing tra- traditional mm-hmm. praise and worship mm-hmm. like gospel music mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a multi-million dollar pop star so to me that meant she was like paying homage to to who gave her her crap and she was connected to it that so was the that, only place was, yeah i mean that's what i saw from that mm-hmm. so that's why i was kind of like well that was a really interesting take on that and then, on, on her career and then, but. and then yeah and then you know but the at, reason the justification for that was okay you're doing all of these things you're doing this gospel thing but as consistently as you're doing gospel you're doing drugs too so what where what, is the relationship? So with, what's yeah. going on the, with that? And what the, is what's, what is and, that battle? And that's why I say the only place she could possibly be was free. Free. The only place she was possibly free was in the music. So taking it for granted is a little bit. I think that might not be the term for it. It might mm-hmm. be something else, but I don't think it's that. And then she, you know, and then her personal. Then I mean, she had a lot of personal struggles. There was probably the relationship with Robin. Mm-hmm. Her mother and father were divorced, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason they were divorced, which I don't know, is, it, we, is that it another is. TMZ issue? No. Oh, okay. She, Sissy, was having an affair, and she was having an affair with the pastor of the church. Wow. So when it came out, now, you know, I hope by the time people listen to this, I'm not doing any spoilers here. But when it came out, now Sissy and Whitney have to leave 
the only place that's wow, comfortable for I never Whitney. Knew that. Didn't I know never it either. Knew that. So that was wow. like one of the things that was most shocking in that documentary huh. for me. I was like, what? Wow. So of course now the place the the one place where she honed her craft, where she loved to be, wow. loved to sing, loved to be in this place. Now she's leaving it. She's having to leave it because of not something she chose to do, but again, something else, somebody else is making her, making her do. Wow. So I just, I see, so I see all of this tortured stuff going on that I, ne- I never get to be me. I never get, I to, never be get me. to be me. And so in the end, the drugs allowed her to escape. And then in the end, well, you know, here's 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 another thing that allowed her to escape. Mm-hmm. She married Bobby. Yeah. So I remember I was having this discussion last night, uh, and I was saying when when Whitney married Bobby, everybody was like, "Oh my God, she's you know blah 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 blah. She's marrying this hood." I was like, "She from Newark." That was that was what she was comfortable. I with. was like, <laughs> I was never confused by yeah, that. I you know, I was like, I don't get it. And so one of the things that, but that's how that's how well her image had been crafted. Exactly. Yeah. And her brother, the one who, uh, the uh, the brother Michael, mm-hmm. is the one who has admitted to being the one who introduced started her on drugs, yeah. introduced mm-hmm. her to drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, said that he was just like us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bobby was from you know Mm -hmm. boston Mm -hmm. and she said he was he bobby was just like me and my brother it wasn't any shock to us that she wanted to be with him all right so then the other funny part was uh when he said that bobby was a lightweight when it came to uh doing drugs he said we used to lap Bobby. He's and when he said we, he was talking about me and Whitney, Whitney. And, mm-hmm. and the other brother Gary. Mm-hmm. He said we used to lap her. Lap so him. he was he, he, he was the one tapping out, but everybody was thinking he was the one drinking the drugs, bringing the, bring drugs, the drugs, drugs to yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah and right. He said she. He said that, and and I never, I never, I. I got my own things about Bobby Brown. I always said, here, here's what I always said. This is what I always said, uh-huh. and it's not just about Bobby. Men get married to settle down. Mm-hmm. They don't get married to party. So Bobby wasn't bringing. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Bobby yeah. wasn't. Bobby wasn't he like had, he had all the freedom he could have ever wanted. He could have done whatever he wanted yes. to do, and he just locked it down. And so, yeah. at that, at the point where he and Whitney got together, he was the hottest thing on the planet. Right. right? So why get married? What What would be the point of that? Right? right. If you wanted to do all of that, why? What would be the point? Mm-hmm. The logical thinking man would say, why am I getting married, right? Mm-hmm. This is not, this, I, whatever. I'm not going to clean up my image. I'm Bobby Brown. I'm mm-hmm. Bobby Badass Brown. Image. This is my image. I'm right. not going to clean it up by marrying Whitney. So what's the point? My image is what keeps me paid right. and what keeps me laid. Right. So what right. is the point right. of me doing this, Absolutely. right? So I, And I, what I said is men don't get married to party they get married to settle down mm-hmm. and i think whitney saw adventure In when bobby. she saw bobby mm-hmm. she just saw oh you know i'm gonna have fun this dude is you know he's he he's just like my brothers he's gonna take care of me he's gonna blah 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 you know it's just gonna mm-hmm. be that kind of thing so i think that you know uh their relationship notwithstanding any of the other stuff 
the drugs, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think they were really, I, I think they were really, I think they really loved each other. They just weren't good for each other. Right. They seemed like they were good friends. Yeah, they weren't. They just, they mm-hmm. just didn't. They, you know, Bobby, Bobby didn't have the strength to pull her out of her shit. Mm-hmm. And you know, she was, you know, and she deferred a lot of herself. You know, she tried to, you know, kind of pull back to to give him some uplift. Mm-hmm. And she probably also, you know, did that to, uh, you know, give him give him back some of the manhood he thought he may have lost. Which, yet again, kind of speaks mm-hmm. to what you were talking about, about Whitney compromising what she wanted for somebody about else. somebody else. So in every relationship, I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving, giving, I'm giving, giving, I'm giving. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, um, I don't want to talk the story to death, the Whitney Houston story to death, you know, about her personal struggles. But, you know, I will say this. Uh, her as an artist, her music. I mean, I, and I, I don't want to cut anybody else's wisdom. If everybody, if somebody else want to talk, mm-hmm. but her music, her music was phenomenal. And I like you, wasn't the kind of fan uh, that most people are. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm just like you with regard to. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I've actually owned a Whitney Houston album. I don't know that I have. I may have. I bought that first album. Yeah, I don't think I have. But, you know, since uh, over the years, I've downloaded songs mm-hmm. uh, uh, for uh, uh, purposes to play in public. You know, I, I've, I've gotten some of those songs because people like them, mm-hmm. especially at weddings, you know. I'm your baby tonight. Those kind of all this stuff, you know. People like that kind of stuff, and it, and it's good. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely good. And um, probably one of her biggest hits is one of the songs I hate the most in the world. I cannot. I think we've okay, already yeah, talked about, about that. Okay, I will say this. I will say this about this <laughs> song, and 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 this will be the last time I say this about the song, maybe. Um, and it's probably the first time I've actually said it like this. The performance, uh-huh. the vocal performance of that song is unmatched. Mm-hmm. It's undeniable. Mm-hmm. It is clearly one of the most beautiful songs mm-hmm. vocally I have ever heard. I just can't stand the song. Mm-hmm. That song is the most annoying. It's something about that. It's something. It's something about the dissonance in one of those chords that just every time I hear it, and it and it might be a lot of things. It might be. It might be that I just don't like that chord. It might be that I got tired of hearing it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it it became. And what's funny is, I'm gonna say this. They were talking about um, a man in London who sued his neighbor for playing that song. And we're talking about I will always love you. Yeah, over and over and over again. And went to jail for seven days because she, she wouldn't stop playing the song. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, yeah, I ain't mad. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah. But you, you gonna have to catch a case behind this. Yeah, I'm tired of listening to this song. When I, when I hear that song, I just get, I get, I just go, Lord, please turn this song off. And I didn't, I didn't dislike the movie. 
I just don't want to hear that song. Yeah, I really just I really I, do I not get like that, that song because there is I I mean this is kind of venturing off into another topic, but there's some stuff that everybody likes mm-hmm. that you just go not feeling it, and yeah. then people think that you're trying to be a contrarian, mm-hmm. and you're just not I feeling just it. Do not just like not, this song. Not feeling it. And at the same token, I cannot. It's easier for me to name that song mm-hmm. as far as Whitney Houston singles released as the one that I don't like because I can't think of any other ones that I don't like. There yeah. might be one or two singles that I don't like. But she, I mean, she doesn't have any that I don't like. All of her singles were like, I was waiting to hear them. You know, I was just like, ah, Whitney doing something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, when I was, when we were, when I was a senior in high school, uh, the song, the album came out, the, uh, Oh, I think it was the 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 album that was out at the time was the Whitney album, mm-hmm. and I want to dance with somebody, and that mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. okay, that might be another song that I didn't like too much. But this was the album that uh, they kind of moved away from Kashif. It was it was the, it was the pop. it was the song that sh- it was the album that she was accused by a lot of the black community to be a sellout for, which is you know Al Sharpton was calling her Whitey Houston. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, Al was calling her Whitey Houston. Now here's the here's <laughs> okay. Don't remember so that. this was That's 80, crazy. This was eighty seven when that album came out. And uh yeah, it I was the, working it was a blue cover when she had I was yeah. working at Walmart at the time. <laughs> and this is like the advent of CDs. This is when CDs became like a thing. I bought that record. The the uh <laughs> the aisles were still mostly covered with cassettes. Uh-huh. You know, there were no you know, people that moved away from vinyl and they were going into cassettes because of the Walkman and all of that. And then CDs were becoming part of the mm-hmm. uh, part of the whole thing now. Music mm-hmm. selection. Huh? But and I remember uh, uh, there was a uh, Walmart was now selling CD players and there was a CD player right in front of the register at the Walmart where I worked. And. uh the uh they had the album cover and then they had that cd was being played as the uh uh demo cd Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i just i and it would play over and over (laughs) and over again and every time that song came on i want to dance with somebody i would walk over there and skip it (laughs) i don't know that that was just not the song but but you know what's also weird about that is Narda Michael Walden produced most of that album, mm-hmm. and she did an Isley Brothers remake mm-hmm. uh, for the love of you. Very good remake, and it's probably one of the best it's songs. An she's, cover. I mean, yeah. I was just like, you, for, you forgot they for, did the song. Yeah, and, and an yeah, exactly. Cover. You forgot exactly. they did that song. You know, you can't do eyes. Everybody can't right. do Isley Brother remakes. You can't. Everybody can't do Maze remakes. Everybody can't do them, you know. Aaliyah tried to do one and it sucks, but (laughs) you know. Uh oh. But uh, she got a be she got a beehive like fan base. You right, you're right. But I ain't scared of none of them. I ain't scared of none of you, mom. But what I'm saying is, is that that song. I agree with you. I was just like, that was a very good cover, and that was interesting to me. That's an interesting juxtaposition to where we are in music now. 
and what gets categorized as quote unquote white music, mm-hmm. what's black music, mm-hmm. what what has crossed over now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that album would not I mean, you put that album in the same well, it would probably be a totally different. But to me, there's nothing that is overtly I want to go pop about that album. I mean, it was a good album. I don't I don't think that it doesn't it sounds like to somebody might have been strategic and said, oh, okay, we're gonna get an R and B producer, but uh, you know, he's gonna kind of experiment with the sound. I guess maybe people would categorize that as as selling out. I, you know, and for me it wasn't so much about the music as much as it was about the look. I think she kinda looked pop-ish. I mean and that's Oh, uh, with I the bodysuit, the visual, on, the visual. You have to be. That's something had, that you have to think about. You know, that and the song, big hair. I wanted to dance with somebody. She had that big ass the, weave. That's an interesting them, comment yeah, and because I think, the visual I think, says a lot. I think that was most of it for me, anyway. The that was always like she just, you know, at that time she was just trying to look like that. You know, uh, here's another interesting thing about the documentary at the time. She couldn't stand Paula Abdul. Nor could she stand Janet Jackson. Well, people who can't sing music. <laughs> right. I mean, and I and, and I say that as a Janet Jackson fan, whose records I own. Exactly. And but I'm was, just you know you got to call a spade a and spade. That, and that was one of her issues. It's like, how are you trying to make us contemporaries? Right. She noticed like, that we didn't that, even that, we didn't that, even acknowledge mm-hmm. uh, Paul Abdul because right. I mean I mean even at the time I mean people might not have said that about Janet at the time but even at the time we were saying okay okay we like the way she danced and then you know so let's just let her sing a few bars and what, uh, uh, and, and the problem with Paula Abdul is that she begat uh, Jennifer Lopez we just can't get rid of him <laughs> but I, I will say I will say off on the tangent Paula Abdul's first single produced by Babyface knocked out that was a bad cut. I liked that Most song. Of the, I, I'm, that was a I, good song. I won't take away from the fact that a couple of those songs off that album were really good. Yeah, they were really they were good dance tracks. They were funky. They were really good. And I totally understand but, why Whitney Houston would be upset. Yeah. by the by somebody saying that we she, are contemporary. She was like, yeah, that is, that's, that's not that's, what that that's is. That's really not the truth. That's not what that is. They were not even in. <laughs> they they. Not only were they not in the ballpark, they weren't in the country. That was apples, they weren't on the planet. That was apples and yeah. motherfucking oranges. And again, <laughs> I'm with you. Was. I was a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Janet Jackson, but at no point is she ever to be considered a contemporary or a peer of Whitney Houston. Well, you know, I I just wanted it when you know her and Mike were so tight. I wanted that she just say, "You need to tell your sister she can't say." <laughs> nobody needed <laughs> to tell her that. You know, nobody you, you, nobody uh, needed to tell I mean, you Janet to, Jackson to, that she couldn't sing. Janet went into the studio <laughs> Janet with Jamie Lewis. Sing. She knows what her voice can do. Yeah. She, she that, nobody what, nobody needed that's to That's why tell she's her. a superstar. <laughs> right. Because she got the right people to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean You, you know, know, I mean, can you just imagine the conversation between them? You know, you, you know, your your sister. It wasn't, ain't. No it wasn't yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> It didn't happen. Cause Mike knows too. Yeah. Or he knew. Yeah. Everybody knew the girl couldn't sing. And can't, she's a phenomenal sing. and she's a phenomenal artist. Yeah. She's a phenomenal artist. Yeah, but you know, having that, having talent has never really been the uh the the precursor to you being a superstar. And and yet another one of these, you know, let's add that to the issues that Whitney Houston was dealing with. So she had a lot of stuff. That was a big deal for yeah. her. That yeah. was a big yeah. deal for her. And uh and uh, some of the footage shows uh, uh, Sissy uh, making the uh, making a making the uh, statement the that 
That bitch knows she can't sing. And she was talking about she was talking about Janet when she said it. <laughs> that bitch knows she can't sing. Did, did Sissy say that? Sissy said it. <laughs> <laughs> and and Robin recorded it and it showed up in this documentary. Like it was oh, wow. on, it's on video. She was like, shit. And Robin was like, let me show y'all who actually said that. And Sissy said, you know, whatever. I said it. And the, and the issue is not really that she couldn't sing. She, I mean, the issue is not that she said it. The issue, I think the issue is, is that, you know, people were trying to make them contemporaries. And plus, Whitney, even though she started out in modeling, it was beautiful. The documentary that I saw, that's an older documentary that was on uh, Access. I saw that. The paints the picture too. of her being very insecure about her hair mm-hmm. and how Bobby kind of played on that. And when he was mad at her, he would talk about would the say, fact that yeah. she didn't have, you know, long, luxurious hair. So, I mean, it was a lot of that whole visual and the 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 what is the what what is beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, amongst black women. You know, and that, that's interesting considering what we see now is more of a, you know, there's an array. More of a spectrum. There's except, a spectrum. Except in the hip hop community, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a spectrum <laughs> out. You know, that's true. There's mm-hmm. a spectrum when you see black women and you'll see everything from a light skin, long hair to dark skin with an afro and anything, any of those combinations in between. And nobody is saying that's no less beautiful, or at least a lot of people uh don't subscribe to uh one is more beautiful than the other mm-hmm. so i mean that's and i think she's kind of a uh you know it you know it's kind of like it speaks to what if what if whitney had become a star at a different time what if she had been what if she come out now versus then you know would she would she be dealing with the same set of insecurities about about her looks about her sexuality about whatever you know what? What would have been different about that whole thing? You know, and she really, probably wouldn't even really been able to sell out either. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because well, you know, she broke that barrier back yeah, then. Yeah, but you know, they went to that whole Nara to Michael Walden. But she, so you know, maybe she took control because the next album, you know, was a whole lot of Babyface, a whole lot of uh, which I like. La Reed. I mean, if if there's something that if there's a Whitney album that I like more than any others, I like the first one. Mm-hmm. But I like. I like L.A. Babyface production, so that was a really, that was a good album for that, and, then, and, and and her voice played well into that. Yeah, and then you know she went all of those years without doing anything. Uh, there were like ten years between that album and her next album, and then the next album she kind of went too far. She did. Uh, she was messing around with. Uh, but she with Kelly Price and all them. Did she do a Jergens. Yeah. You know, not See, not not that they're not phenomenal producers. They're just not Whitney producers. You know, for me, if she was going to try to stay in that space at that point in her life, she had pretty much she had become an OG, and all she really needed to do was kind of do uh, for the love of you type remakes and you know, uh, kind of smooth. Yeah. But when she tried to do like she tried to get into that space, by that time Brandy was out. By that, you know what I mean. Yeah. And you try to get in that same space, you know, you're just like the old bitch in the club at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you got Missy Elliott producing for you, and you know, you you yeah. But you know, I'm right. She got them. She got some clothes on. It's <laughs> too tight. As mm. I put on my bifocals to look at the songs <laughs> and, that and, came and, out and, during and she that. She had time. a fur coat on and. 
Yeah. She was I like the little Heartbreak Hotel. I'm looking at the songs now. That's so, a song, yeah. The Heartbreak Hotel with Faith Evans and Kelly Price uh-huh. was a good song to me. Okay. It did not seem so that seemed that seemed forced to you? You all didn't, of you that, didn't like all it? of that. Really? Right, Missy Missy Elliott. You're really Rodney Jerkins, okay. all of them. I mean, I was feeling all of them. It's not like I don't like them. Right, right, right. But I, I just don't think I think at that point she was that she wasn't. Well, she, to she your point. Right. Whitney wasn't singing those type of lyrics, man. Whitney wasn't singing those kind of lyrics back. You know, those weren't, those weren't her lyrics. But they weren't, you know, they weren't her. I nah, mean, man. you know, at that point nah, at that nah. sometimes, you know, you gotta bow out gracefully <laughs> in a sense that I'm not saying don't stop making music. I'm saying you gotta stop making certain kinds of music. Because they don't fit you anymore. And you're not. Now, when you got 10 years, you got 10 years between your albums. That's a, almost an entire generation of yeah, music listeners. I agree with that. So all you got really is old fans. You don't have any. You're not going to get very many new fans. You know why I'm just kind of looking at you, really? Because I agree with what you're saying, but I'm thinking about the exceptions. And the and like I, on the way over here, I was listening to some the whole uh, titles, new music this week, and I'm just kind of, the phone is sitting in the car seat, so I never really hear the artist. So I never see the, what the actual, the name of the artist. So uh, something comes on, and I'm like, that sounds just like Shaka Khan. Why is this new music? And I pick it up, and it's Shaka Khan. And it's a new song, and it's a new, it's new music. It's not Shaka doing any kind of old stuff. And I'm thinking about, okay, well, when I hear her voice, her, she when she tries to do stuff, I never get. Oh, why is Chaka trying to do that? Chaka needs to sit down. But where is the? But but where is the? But where is the market for it? Because I, I hear you. Because I, yes. you're not gonna listen. You're not gonna buy a new Chaka oh, song. Well, I like mean, that's that. another topic. And then yes. the new Chaka people, and then new and new <laughs> music listeners are not gonna look at Chaka like, you know, she's the OG. Point taken. That's that's my point. Point taken. Yeah, yeah I, hear what you're I saying. mean, that's my point. <laughs> So I mean, it's not a good. Uh, it's not a good business because move. we are because we are contrary with our artists. We want them to do, you know. We keep repeating the old Jay Z line. You know, if you want my old shit, buy my old album. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so normally it's just like us and Prince. Prince got to a certain level. You know, it's not that we didn't love Prince anymore. We just didn't love what he was doing anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that. Uh, I think that that's a really important point for a lot of artists. And I, the reason why I always try to argue on the other side is because I want people to continue to create if they feel like they're creating. I think they should. But it's just, yeah. I think they should. But you can you can create in the space that you are where you were. You know what I'm stay, saying? Stay in your lane. lane. You, is what you, in your lane. <laughs> you can still create in that space. You yeah. can still be good and still make new music in that space. But, you know. Whitney Houston doing trap music is not that she did it. I'm just saying, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Let's do this. Can you imagine Janet Jackson doing ape shit? No, no, nah. I don't think I can. Nah, she couldn't do that. I I, I can't imagine it. But yeah, I hear what you say. I I, I definitely that's, see your point. That's that's what I'm saying. No, you have yeah. a very good. It's a good point. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a good it's, point. It's still a big dance track. It's still part of. But at some point, you know, do what you do. Yeah. Be good at that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can still be creative in that space, but leave the trap music shit alone because yeah. it ain't you. 
it's never going to be you. But part of that is trying to recapture things that you that are no longer yours to capture, which is what you're, which is really what Rizzo you're speaking to as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get you want that you want to be adored by all of these people, and imagine, I imagine that's some kind of high that one of the reasons that drives so many of these artists to drugs is because they can't recreate the high that they get from all of the the adoration from the fans and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I, I see your point, but it's almost like, uh, you know, they still chasing it. Like it's a drug, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, I'm still running after it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. So anyway, that's, 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 I mean, loving, uh, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't have called myself a Whitney fan necessarily called myself a Whitney fan, but watching the documentary, and kind of revisiting the music in my mind made me realize I was really a Whitney fan. I, I've always, mm, I've been, always mm. been a Whitney. I've fan. always been a Whitney fan. But that whole that but that one song, <laughs> the one song that people run to when they talk about Whitney, mm-hmm. I just you know it turns it it turns me into like this, you know like I just yeah I, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know. Well, I'm gonna ask you this uh, before we get out of here. In the documentary, did they bring up Clive Davis in him? Of course they did. Now, yeah. my question was, is that he was controlling her image and all this. And this Not and as much as you would think. Really? Not as much as you would think. Clive and uh, Atlantic Records. Mm-hmm. So, Arista, I think it was Atlantic. It was, they were battling for Whitney when when Whitney when Whitney did the concert mm-hmm. the where she... Uh, took over her mother's concert Uh that's who battled and for um, the management people that they were speaking to said that uh, their offers were pretty much the same Mm -hmm. you know nobody gave her any you know they you Mm -hmm. know every time you know Clive came to see Whitney Mm -hmm. Atlantic would show up and say, okay, I'm going to give you this much. And then Clive would come back and say, well, Atlantic offered you that? Well, I'm going to give you this. So, you know, their offers at the end were pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. Now, we all think just based on watching different the music yeah. as it as it was released from 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 the thousand foot view that we have. Mm-hmm. It looks like when she kind of went pop, that was a Clive thing mm-hmm. and it wasn't. Okay. At that point, her father and her mother were still pretty much uh handling her, handling her career. Gotcha. And 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 well, crafting her image, I mm-hmm. should say. And Robin was in on that too, actually. Mm. But Robin was Robin was more of a uh uh what do you want kind of person. Mm-hmm. Where her parents were more like yeah, you know, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. And the thing actually that got rid of Robin was her beef with Bobby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She and Bobby were beefing mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And Robin got fed up and Robin was like, look, it's either going to be you, me or Bobby, mm-hmm. you know, doing this job. And Whitney answered, I accept your resignation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, I mean, they were on tour when it happened. Oh, and the uh, the old documentary kind of walks through that and shows mm-hmm. her as she's leaving, mm-hmm. and you can see her physically in the same presence with Bobby, and him trying to play 
the whole, you know, he's really kind of being a jackass, but, you know, you can see her visibly not happy that he's, like, actually touching her and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can see that. But, yeah, what, you know, I see I see your point that with, that the label didn't have as much control as you think. Uh, she she had all of these people with their hands on on her trying career, to trying, to, her trying to figure out what was and going on. And I would, uh, I think Clive was just happy. I mean, at that point, Arista was making so much money off Whitney. Mm-hmm. Gazillions of dollars. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think he was in a point where he was like, do what the fuck you want. Because they was doing Michael Jackson numbers. Right, <laughs> I mean, you right, know. right, yeah. He you was know? like, you know, and I would, I would venture this, I would bet, I would bet real money that Whitney is probably still at this point one of the top five artists ever on money wise on Arista Records. I yeah. bet there. I bet there weren't. I bet. I bet there. Well, albums don't albums don't even sell like that anymore. Right. Like, can you think of somebody who sold four million albums? recently no i mean that's for that's mega yeah and that was like whitney's third or fourth album yeah i mean her first one was like 12 yeah yeah so you know with streams i mean you know you don't even get the same you know there's not the same speaking of which best buy just stopped selling cds CDs. Mm -hmm. so they don't even sell albums at best buy anymore yeah yeah man yeah you you work for best buy you don't and you sold records you don't have discipline anymore yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, yeah, man. But I'm looking forward to watching it. Though. I think I, I, think I'm, I, I, I would recommend. I'm, I would I really recommend see seeing it. it. I think it'll give you a different kind of perspective. On, I mean, uh, there was a point my uh, my wife and I went to see it together, and there was this point where Bobby Brown refused to kind of talk about the drug abuse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it had come out that he wasn't talking in the movie. And the reason and and people surmise that the reason he wasn't talking is because he wanted to discuss it in his own movie. You know, he has a BET movie coming Mm -hmm. out. He didn't want. And uh, I don't think for me watching that and just kind of seeing and the way he answered the questions for me. It looked like he just didn't want to tear his woman down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it literally looked like, you know, you're not ain't, ain't nothing you're gonna be able to ask me to make me tear Whitney mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, at that point, he's he's lost his wife and his child. Right. So I'm sure he's like, okay, this has gone far enough. Let mm-hmm. me just you're not you we're not you we, we've not. already gone as far down yeah. the the rabbit hole oh, here mm-hmm. as we gonna go. So let's just yeah, we're not gonna do. It. I can see that too. Yeah, I think they. I mean, I think. I think, and that's and I'm I've always and I've said this too. Sissy, Mama Bear. I agree with her, not liking them together with Bobby and Whitney together, in the sense that Bobby wasn't strong enough to be the man in that house to pull. She needed a real man. She needed mm-hmm. a different kind of man. Mm-hmm. Not not I'm not gonna call Bobby <laughs> not, not a real man, man, but yeah. But he, he she needed a different person, yeah. uh-huh. and he wasn't he wasn't able to do that. Yeah. A lot of the times, men married a woman. A lot of the times, men marry the woman. They don't know what kind of man they can become until they find the woman that they want to be with. Especially black men, I really believe and that. Sometimes to my soul. you marry your mama. You you do. That's very my, much the same. That's very much the case. I've seen the women make the men better. 
make them better. Yeah. And then that man can be the kind of man mm. that you, you know. But they were so, they were just the codependent. Work, yeah. yeah, they, I mean, they loved each other, but they just didn't work. Yeah. And I just, so I agree with Sissy with regard to that. But I think that Sissy still hasn't. She still hasn't acknowledged her role in fucking up a, a Whitney's life. She Dang. still hasn't acknowledged that. Dang. And, 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 Sissy, which is hard for, it's got to be hard for a, for a mother. Do, yeah. yeah. And so, since she, so now, so after Bobby died, Bobby Christina died, you know, that, that just compounds the issue. Because now she's like, the reason, because to me, the reason that Whitney died was because of her family struggles. And now the reason that Bobby Christina died was because, you know, it came out, it came out in the movie that she actually hated Whitney for a long time. She hated Whitney for a very, very long time. I think that had Whitney's family not tried to keep her from Bobby, she'd still be alive today. Because Bobby's cleaned up, right? right? Bobby figured it out. He became that man. Sans Whitney, you know, he got out of that situation. He became that man. I'm not saying Bobby is perfect. I'm not saying he doesn't drink anymore and all that. But he loved that little girl. He loved Whitney and he loved that little girl. And I think to this day, if Bobby, if they hadn't severed their relationship, or you know, fought them and tried to keep them apart, they would. Bobby and Christina would still be alive. But that's just, that's just me thinking about. It. It's tragic. Yeah. It's tragic that we'll never get another Whitney Houston, the way we had Whitney Houston. But at least we got what we got, and there's no way they can, you know, that can go away. Her music was phenomenal. And it lives forever. Forever. All right. That's a good way to end it. Well, hey, man, we want to thank you all for listening to Psycho Music Lyricology. You can listen, like, and subscribe to us on Spreaker, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Acast, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Make sure you follow us on follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at PsychoFellas. You can also check out the blog at psychomusiclyricology.com. And we can be contacted at 469-606-9534 or email us at psychomusiclyricology.com, gmail.com. Until the next time, (laughs) peace. peace. Peace.